Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. Still um, hanging in, are we? Yeah, I see smiles through the pain. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. That's not easy. It's not easy to do. Um, This strange thing of sitting and walking and being in silence and not relating while relating in a different way. It's a strange uh, laboratory, a strange exploration. So tonight I want to um, speak about practice. There's so many ways to talk about what we're doing, so I'll present one, uh, one possible understanding of what's happening here. Uh, maybe um, I think of it as the, an arc of practice. And uh, so I think of it in terms of this week being here, but also maybe practice over years. Uh, one of the ways, you know, and another evening I might come here and present the path in another version or the other Will you know? So it's it's one take. When uh, and you might uh, notice if you relate to this, if you recognize some uh, aspects of what I'm describing, or if uh, if you get curious about some aspect. Oh, I want to pay more attention to that, or find this out for myself. Yeah. Um, So one way that I understand the practice is that um, we arrive here first with um, our ideas about stuff. We're a little bit in our head, many of us, you know, like maybe expectation about how it's going to be or a lot of preconceived idea that we don't know we have. It's just, it's me, this is how I am, and this is how I like things, you know, and, and this is how people are or... You know, uh, it's a little gross, it's a little, uh, it's ideas about the world, how I should be, how I maybe will be after, or, you know, stories. Um, so do you recognize some, something in that? <laughs> you know, how broccoli should be cooked. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's at any scale, any level, you know, what, how... They should take care of this here or not, or how I wouldn't be able to take care of that, or I would, you know. And so we're sitting here, we're comparing, maybe, oh, she's look like she's in front of me in the race for enlightenment, you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
she's walking slow. <laughs> I wish I had that look. <laughs> you know. So a lot of ideas about things. And slowly we, uh, we learn, we're invited, the, 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 the instructions maybe are invited, uh, invite us, us to dive under our ideas about who we are, how, who we should be, or how it should be, or our ideas about what's happening, and to actually uh, tune in and connect and feel and uh, let go of ideas and discover uh, a new like what it is to be sitting beside my idea about it. What is the experience of sitting and now at this moment? And so we go from ideas about things, all kinds of things, to um, more intimacy with events, phenomena, experiences. We get to feel them a little bit more and more because the mind quiets down, it tunes in, it gets interested, uh, we're not busy, uh, we're less busy, we, yeah? And so we, uh, we get to feel a little bit more. And as I was saying the other night, suddenly like tastes come out, a step uh, stands out, and things get specific, they're not general. It's not a tree, it's this tree now. You know, this experience of the branches moving now, and we're touched. And so people come to interviews crying because they've seen a worm, you know, and they're worried about the worm because there was a real connection. With, it was not like a worm, it was that worm. Then, do you see what I mean? Like there's something that starts to stand out in, uh, in events, yeah? And uh, I think in one of the sutra, sutras, the way I remember it, and it, it hit me like I recognize something in, in that, it seems it's in four parts, and uh, the Buddha seemed to be saying something like, oh yeah, you know, when I used to sit at some point, um, you know, when I had... Um, for example, ill will or anger or resentment, anything in that kind of realm, I wouldn't fall asleep in my meditation. You know, it would be juicy. You know, I'd be sitting and there would be not like no doubt about like, what am I doing here? Or, you know, there they wouldn't be like, like this. It would be like, yeah, and you did that to me and you said that. You know, hating somebody else or self, like, I can't believe I did that. I, did, I really did that. And you're like, how's your energy? It's good. I have a lot of it. <laughs> You know, like lots of energy for uh, ill will or uh, resentment and old thing, you know, like very juicy meditation. <laughs> and uh, he said also lots of energy for anything about sense pleasure, like, oh, and I'm back with the cat at home. You know? I'm not falling asleep because it went out back with my, you know, when I'm home and... You know, you know, when you get home, it's like, oh, home. <laughs> you know? But from here, you know, home, oh, my bed, my toothbrush. You know, something like this. And then, you, you know, and, and, but, you know, you make it, uh, you know, you project pleasantness, and there's a lot of energy around this, you know? And, uh, and in these, in this teaching, he says, and at some point, it was not so juicy anymore. You know, it was like, okay, I think I've visited that one. 
You know, I've told that story a few times now, you know, like uh, that, you know, and so you might have this experience of the mind calming, the pacification of the mind where you're sitting there and it's kind of neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So the door suddenly opens, you know, because it's, it's not easy to actually connect with something that is not pleasant nor unpleasant. And so there's a little, you know, the door is open there. Like, where is it going to go? We don't know, you know. You know, like, it's, it's not that interesting, outstanding out, you know. And so the mind goes like, ah, ice cream, <laughs> you know. But at some point in practice, the mind starts to go there like, oh, ice cream, or oh, back in the days when this person said that to me, you know, and it turns toward that, and then it goes like, (laughs) that's going to be a lot of trouble. (laughs) You know, it's a whole loop. That's a 20-minute loop, you know, like, to actually work it out, forgive again, you know. Do you see what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm not sure I want to go there. That's the beginning of renunciation. (laughs) I don't think it's, it's a good road. So there's a, we start intuitively to recognize how to use energy, you know. So maybe I'll just stay here. Maybe I'll just stay here and tune in a little bit more and, and feel the hands. Yeah, I think feel the hands is a good idea, <laughs> you know. So let's go of ice cream, let go of all resentment or, you know, scenarios of the horrible future, mm-hmm. you know, and just be here, be here. And so we learn how to let go of patterns that are detrimental. So it's less, the juice is not at the same place. Suddenly it's like, actually, where is my, my energy? I have energy for being here. I have energy for standing up and being aware of it, being awake to standing up. Why? Because we're finding out for ourselves, and maybe because it's been valued. Huh? It's been named, you know, like the, the teachers, they all have kind, all kinds of tricks to induce that, you know. Hey, just before I go, let me tell you, this might be your last step. <laughs> Bye. You know, and you're like, oh, maybe I should pay attention. If it, you know? So we try all kinds of ways to make you value uh, what's happening here now, you know. And so, and so in this uh, sutra, there's four things. So there's uh, resentment and anything that has to do with anger, right? hatred. The Buddha said, yeah, at some point it was not juicy anymore. I didn't want to put my energy there, you know. And uh, something about sense desires and, you know, gratification, instant gratification, you know. I didn't want to invest in that so much. And there's another kind of paragraph where it seems in English, I think it's translated by stuff. Like like thinking about stuff. You know, like somebody today was describing to me how I thought it was really interesting. They were saying so... I'll be stepping, stepping. I think it's okay to to bring back something I've heard today. Uh, maybe I'll hear about it. Like, no, it's not okay. But uh, uh, I, I choose what I bring back. <laughs> you know? So this person was uh, describing something that I've seen a lot in myself and that you might recognize. They're like, I'm stepping, stepping, being there for the stepping. Then I start thinking about stepping and about, you know, like how useful it is to be there when we step, you know, and other people should be there when they're stepping, you know, and actually that person should be there when they're stepping, <laughs> and then, oops, I'm gone, you know, so thinking about stuff, you know, con- conceptual realm, ideas, you know, 
And so I learned to actually let, I found out, I find out that I'm doing this. Oh, I'm leaving the path, considering the path, you know. Like I start giving my own little Dharma talk, you know, like. <laughs> you know, and it sounds good. But then I find out, oh, like I got caught. Like it's not life, it's, it's, it's ideas about life, you know. And so stuff, I let go of this. And the fourth one, I've, I, we've already talked about a bunch, uh, is, is uh, where the juice used to be. says the, the juice used to be in anything related to self. You know, moi. The moi that was, that will be, the moi that, that's very juicy. Huh? can spend hours fascinated by that construction. You know, that story, that uh, fiction, that, uh, yeah, that creation of mind. Moi, how I'm perceived, how, you know, <laughs> so many angles, it's infinite. And so the Buddha says, you know, at some point, this is less juicy. You know, it's, it's uh, for me, one of the ways that renunciation, and there's been many ways that renunciation happened around this. And uh, so a couple come to mind. And so one of them is, uh, is that one time I was thinking about moi, you know, some, some moi, past moi, future potential, a moi that will never exist, you know. If this had happened to me, I would be like that, you know. That, that's fine, it, that it never happened is still very fascinating to think about, <laughs> you know. And uh, so I, I just noticed that I, I, was, uh, I was gone in some fantasy fascination about uh, Pascal, you know. And, uh, and as I come, came back, the way it hit me, you know, like when we come back, we're hit in different ways sometimes. And this way that I was hit um, was that the way I recognized it is that I had, I, thinking of Pascal, I had abandoned Pascal. Thinking of a made-up Pascal, I had abandoned life. And it appeared like uh, delusional, and dismissive of life, you know? I don't know if you follow me. Like I came, I was thinking of me, this and that, and suddenly I come back and I'm like, oh my God, life. Like I totally dismissed life for a fascination, for a creation of a story told. You know? To, you know? And then while this time life was happening, and so this is a kind of an insight. There was, oh, what do I really value? It's good to be aware of my value system. I'm actually having an insight into my value system. I'm valuing stories over life. Is that really what I want to do? Yeah? Another kind of similar way that it happened is one time I was on retreat and I was thinking of the other life. So there's something in my life that uh, is not easy to live with. You might have your own little thing. So there's something that, yeah, has been has made life challenging in some ways. You know? And in a way, it's good to not name it. There's, there's a suspense maybe, but also it leaves it open for, oh, me too. You know, me too, it's that, whatever, diagnosis, loss of this, or this relationship, uh, this family thing, this 
historical part of you know or whatever it is you know so so there's this thing and i used to spend a fair amount of time thinking of the life without that you know the life uh, how easy it would be if this wasn't there and how my life would be like this like that you know and so spending a lot of time with the other life like there was one and i was cherishing it and one day I just, it just noticed that it was a made-up life. I was sh- cherishing, uh, putting a lot of energy into a, a life that didn't exist. It was a made-up life. While again, there was one here. And so, so it's very, very similar, the two examples, but they just showed up a little differently. Is when I came back here and I, I, oh my God, I'm dreaming, I have a, a life, and I'm dreaming of another life. And at that moment, I decided, I'm actually going to commit to this life. I'm going to marry this life. I'm going to cherish this life. At night, I'm going to be in bed with this life. I'm going to walk in the street with this life. I'm going to not walk, look at other people's lives so much, and or dream of another life. I'm not saying wife, I'm saying life. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so there was a level of like, let's take this on. Let's take this crooked life on. Let's learn to live this one. Yeah? And so there was renunciation. Renunciation of an idea that I thought was helping me but actually, every time I was coming back here, it was a kind of a failure. You know, the other life was so much better. I mean, it was inexistent, but <laughs> it had, uh, you know. And so, yeah. So these kinds of renunciation are happening on the path. We have... Um, we call this vipassana insight because it's felt. Like I, I'm not saying I should stop thinking about the other life. You know that's not good for me. Does that work? You know, or I'm never gonna. I'm not finished. This is it. I'm not thinking about the other life. You know, does that work? No. What works is insight. I pay attention. I pay attention here, there, here, there, and there. And at some point something appears and it's felt I'm not I don't have to think even in words this is not helpful for me I feel it you know and I recognize there's a recognition that is embodied penetrative uh, understanding deep understanding vipassana seeing clearly more like feeling clearly the impact of a different behaviors. So there's a clearing up that happens here as we sit, walk, do the yoga, notice the opening of the door, the body laying down in bed, the coldness, the, this, things appear like this. So I've talked about this the other night. So that's one of the things that happen. Things stand out. So their unhelpful nature stands out. It shakes us. It resonates. It's... Uh, it, uh, yeah, it's more painful. What is painful is more painful, the behaviors of the mind. Yeah? And those that are helpful, they also stand out. They're, wow, 
it really resonates well when there is a little acceptance in the field, you know. So, okay, so I'm still in the arc. So this is something that is happening. And in this becoming very specific, not a breath, but this in-breath. Not uh, a walk, but walking now, in this moment. Not another meal, but this meal. This movement of the arm. This swallowing. This one. Not a generic swallowing. Swallowing, I know. No. Here, now. Yeah? So what happens if we, when we do this, and this is lawful, unfolding, so we pay attention we pay, uh, with commitment more and more, being inspired by others, by the voice of the teachers. Uh, you know, everything is, here is contributing, wants to contribute to that. The mind pacifies itself. It gets more... Uh, precise, but not in a rigid, it's a precision that is, uh, precision is not the right word, I will find it one day. But it's, uh, it's a taste, tasting, feeling, it's, uh, it's like water, our attention, our care, being like water going in a sponge, it feels, it's uh, infusing, suffusing uh, uh, events, phenomena, so they're really felt. Not in a greedy way. More, I want to feel more. It's just pa- patient, patience, patiently being available, allowing, allowing. So we're more and more sensitive, more and more conscious. So at some point, it's not in phenomena. There's specificity that starts to appear to us. So specificity means some things are heard, hearing, oh, hearing. Some things are seen, seeing, seeing. Some things are thought. That's already an amazing kind of discernment, no? That I recognize a thought as a thought. That is, you're really advanced if you're able to do that. You know? Do you see what I mean? Anushka, my good friend and colleague uh, that I teach uh, with sometimes, she had us do an experiment around this the other day that I thought was really... uh, really good, let's do it and you see for yourself. She said, think about your shoes or Birkenstock or whatever you have there, Crocs or uh, slippers. Think about your uh, slippers. And then she said, the slippers you're thinking about, they're not your shoes or slippers. They're they're a, a thought. And I was sitting there next to her and I was like, no. This is my this is my shoes. I, I'm seeing my shoes. It's my shoes, and she's like, "This is a thought." I was like, "No, no, it's my shoes." <laughs> I know, I know where they're ripped. I know it's my shoes. I'm seeing my shoes, and she's like, what? "This is your this is a thought." And I was like, "I could see my whole system was resisting." <laughs> like, like, oh wow, I don't still don't have that basic discernment that a thought is a thought, like. In the famous teaching of the thought of your mother is not your mother. You know? It's, a, it's an image here now. The thought of your future is not your future. It's a very ephemeral, light, uh, immediate mind event. You know? The thought of your past is not your past. No! <laughs> I'll let you touch my shoes, my mother. <laughs> But you don't touch my past. (laughs) 
notice your reaction inside of it's like <laughs> and so it's a mental construction so to have the discernment to recognize this this is advanced that that would be today or tomorrow <laughs> not before to before was too early Do you see the liberating aspect of that? That we can recognize a thought as a thought, you know? It's very liberating right there. But so some things are thought, some things are smelt, or whatever the verb is there, tasted. Some things are blue, others are red. Some are big, others are small, subtle, gross. They all have specific, every phenomenon, uh, every phenomenon, as a specificity to it, you know, cold, damp, you know, touch, uh, rough, smooth, you know. So, but they all have in common, and Bunny talked about this, but that's what happened in the arc of practice, is the more quiet, the more attuned we get, the more we start to, uh, or starts to be revealed for us, the universal uh, characteristics of phenomena. And that might be happening for you. So it's not their specificity, the taste of that rice uh, mouthful, you know, or with this little acidity that came from the salsa on the side or something, you know. It's not, it's not so much the specificity of that particular taste. What starts to appear in a quiet mind, in a tuned-in mind, is suddenly the ephemeral nature of that event. A thought, a taste, a step, an emotion, anything of the phenomenal world, inside, outside, has the nature to actually appear and disappear. And this is something we're particularly interested in in practice. In the, we kept talking about the fourth foundation, it's still mysterious, what is the fourth, you know, <laughs> or whatever, you know, I can't remember the third, you know, but aspects of experience, different aspects of our experience that in the end probably encompasses everything we experience, the four foundations, the four aspects of reality. In each one of the aspects, the Buddha, in this uh, famous uh, teaching of the Satipatthana Sutta, says, you know, with bodily sensations, with uh, mind states or emotions or moods, with uh, uh, any event, he says, see the appearance of this and see the passing away, the disappearance of this. Notice the presence of this. Notice the absence of this. And so that's key. So every aspect of reality, the, it's always the same instructions. Notice how it appears. Like a step. There's an experience of hardness. Wow, gone. A thought. I suck at meditation. Appears with uh, maybe a resonance, vibration, or contraction, or an op oppression. And then... In the end, it passes. Often we don't notice the passing away. We just got caught in something else. But here, we're slowing down, we're paying enough attention. We 
are invited to maintain the contact with reality a little bit longer so that we can see things uh, either fluctuate, morph, uh, so they can reveal their dynamic nature, impermanent nature. Yeah? In life, often what we do is we have a moment of contact with reality. I see something, I hear something, and it's natural, no fault. It's just that we're going somewhere else a bit here. But I'll hear something, there's a contact, it lasts one second. Then there's a conception. I see in my mind, oh, knee. I have an image of my knee pain, you know, or bird banging a window, which apparently some, somebody noticed that since I talked about killing it, it left. <laughs> and so, hold on, I was somewhere... And so there's a contact, and it's followed by a conception. Do you see what I mean? We conceive of the thing, and then naturally there is proliferation. So there's a second of like, you know, electric thing or pushing in the knee, and then we see my knee. We know it is. We know it's not there that it's doing this. We know it's there, and we conceptual. Oh, it's my knee. It's down there, and then oh my god. Oh my God, what's going to happen? I, you know, I have to move now, otherwise I lose my leg, you know, <laughs> or whatever else follows. You know, oh, it's going to stay like this if it amplifies. What am I going to do? You know, oh my God, I want to stay until the end, but or that's my ticket out. <laughs> <laughs> so we leave reality for a made-up world, for a story told, and here we're instructed: try to stay, try to stay around. Keep hearing the rain. Keep feeling the breath. Keep noticing the step. Why? Because at some point, you will notice the appearance and disappearance of that. And so, in the arc of practice, we become intimate with the universal characteristics of phenomena. Oh, phenomena. <laughs> they appear and they disappear. They're ephemeral. This is many things. This is, uh, the, you know, this path like this, the arc doesn't end with cynicism. It's impermanent, it, oh, like, get over it. It's going to, you know, oh, it just fell in love. Yeah, it's, gonna, it's not going to work out. <laughs> it's going to end, you know. <laughs> like, one could get like this, do you see? Like, not treating impermanence well, you know. One would get dismissive, you know. Ah, oh, I feel so much calm. Well, don't worry, it's going to pass. <laughs> this is not the arch of the arc or arch of practice here. So what happens? This whole thing is for the opening of the heart, so we can say, "Wow, things appear and disappear. <coughs> Beautiful things appear and disappear. You know, wow." And when we see appearance and disappearance as an insight. It can be, depending on the level of the, the quality of the mind, the there's probably many, many conditions that do this, but an insight, a strong insight, I don't want to create one thing saying all this, but that's, we're going to go there anyway. <laughs> so a strong insight, which I don't, I don't will insight. Huh? You don't either. We don't will. 
insight, you might have heard this, is an accident, and meditation makes us accident prone. <laughs> so we don't, it's very humble work we do. We show up, we show up, we, the conditions that we can, uh, I don't know if it's create or contribute, we contribute in the best way we can, and when the conditions are right, oops, and if the conditions are right, the insight will, uh, that has some death will be inferential. It means that if I'm really there, very intimate with the step, and I cannot force this, this is not like, you are going to be so with the step. It's not that. I think you've figured that out now, you know. It's gentle, it's attending, it's not giving up, it's uh, inviting, it's progressive. But at some point, somebody, that's kind of a typical uh, way that it could happen, some, somebody would step uh, down, feel the actual experience, momentary experience of hardness or pushing or pressure, call it as you want. There's an experience there, and it's ephemeral. And as it disappeared, the person would understand, oh my God, everything disappears. Not just the step, but everything else. This is very liberating. That's a quality, high-quality encounter with impermanence. A superficial encounter with impermanent is, I know, I know, it's all going to pass. Yes, but that's, that doesn't have the quality we're looking for. Vipassana, insight, is a really high-quality encounter with a thought disappearing, an emotion subsiding. You know, and you're like, oh my God, emotions subside. You know, or the sense of self arises, <gasps> I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. And then you notice, oh, the I, I'm bad, is absent. Oh, wow. So I is flickering, is shaky, is appearing and disappearing, is changing. I am generous. You know, I am so, whatever is the word there. Yeah, and we start to notice this. What happens? It's liberating. Oh, I don't have to totally buy into this I version that appeared now. Because it's ephemeral, passing, conditional. It, it's uh, dependent. So in this arch of practice also, one thing, and, we, and we've named it, Bunny named it on the first uh, evening also, another characteristic that starts to happen, and that's not, that's not, uh, that's counterintuitive, that's not easy to, um, to discover or uncover, is, uh, but it's progressive. That's what happened. Is uh, in in practice, so I come with my ideas. Let's say I start at the beginning of the arch again. So I come with my ideas about. So this is my body. This is me. This is my hand. I know. I know my hand. You know. And we start to tune in and relax a little bit. And suddenly, my God, my hand thing, solid always, is actually a river of sensations, a field of 
pulsation or movements of heat radiating or do you see what I mean? It becomes something alive, alive, dynamic. It's my new word personally for impermanent. I've heard the word impermanent 20 years now, so it's dry. It doesn't work for me anymore. Like it, I can't relate. It's more of a, like it, it doesn't, it's, it, it's empty. It's, uh, I don't know. But wow, the hand is alive. It's dynamic. It's pulsing. It's, so it's not my hand. The idea of my hand is one thing, but the experience of it, the idea, the objectified idea of my body, too like this, not enough like that, should be like this, like too dry, too, I don't know, big, small, short, tall, you know, uh, all this objectify, yeah, my body, this idea, suddenly it's expansions, contractions. Suddenly it has this experience, it's this experience, and a few seconds later, It's that experience. And then if you're at the right place at the right time, it's that experience. <laughs> it's a completely, and you're like, wow, this is what I call my body, and I think of it as one thing. But it's a river of experiences. So the ephemeral, dynamic, alive nature, and maybe sacred, maybe something will stand out that this thing that I've objectified and hated and suddenly respect this is a field of life yeah and I'll notice also slowly progressively that it's not exactly mine how can I own tingling a moment of tingling gone soon how can I own this that was there these sensations that were there a few seconds ago they're gone they were impermanent and impossible to own Wow, there was appropriation, wrongful, mistaken identity. I took for me, mine, something that belongs to nature. The elements, earth, element, hardness. Can you really own hardness? At 8 o'clock, if I finish on time, it'll be gone, because you'll be standing up and the hardness of your butt <laughs> is going to be disappeared, inexistent. As far as the Big Bang, you know, inexistent, not existing. Do you see what I... So we're breaking down our ideas of the body and we're discovering a, a live field worthy of respect, worth, worthy of care that we can't own. And then we'll discover things like this about thoughts. I'm thinking, thinking is happening. I don't want to think, but it keeps thinking. Oh, it's conditional. It's not so much me as much as years of this being impressed, the system being impressed. So, of course, it will produce that kind of idea. Do you see? And so we're suddenly we're like, oh, I'm not the thoughts. Oh, the emotions, they come and go. I seem to remain. But the impatience is gone. So it's not so much me, but there. We even use that language, as you know. Our teachers showed, that, showed us how to use this language to play with that, to bring it in the, in the language. It's not, I'm like this. It's, there, is, there is discomfort. There is distress. There is discouragement. There is calm. 
Fear is here. Fear is alive. Thoughts are lending in there. You know? And so slowly we're deconstructing that belief, that preconceived idea of an I. I. And then we notice, you know, like, oh, a taste appears. Like, it's not exactly mine. An opinion changes. Bunny says something, and I'm like, oh, that's my new opinion now. <laughs> you know, I just replaced my old, my old opinion by a new one, and it's mine. And somebody will say, yeah, but you, I heard you say that on the Dharma Seed. No. <laughs> that's not what I think, you know. I, so I identify with different things, you know. And suddenly I discover that they're not me. And it's liberating. So if a cruel thought crosses my mind and I'm a little mistaken, I have wrong view, I have a misunderstanding about life, I might think, oh my God, I'm cruel, I'm so cruel, I hope nobody sees I'm cruel. But if I'm a little wise, you know, I'll say, oh, cruel thought comes in. Maybe I won't entertain this. It's not worth being entertained. I don't want to feed that wolf. You know, it's going to be detrimental. So we're replacing the lens of me, mine, I. Is it mine? Can it be mine? I don't want it to be mine. We're replacing this slowly by the Dharma lenses. And it's more like, is this useful? Is this discernment? Is this helpful for me and others? Is this worthy of being valued and celebrated? Is this worthy of being accompanied to the exit, you know. Do you see what I mean? So we slowly, we uh, we let go of this uh, eyeing and mying, and a few quotes maybe to help uh, understand this. Oh, first about the elements, when you were teaching about the elements, but yeah, I was thinking, was coming back to me, this, uh, when I quote the sutras, it's not quoting, it's paraphrasing, dash appropriating, <laughs> and, you know, something of that nature. But I think I'm in the spirit. When I teach with my teachers, they, they say, you're in line, you know, so it's, it's empowering. And so I take that risk of not having read it for a few years. But I remember there was this, the Buddha saying, oh, the earth element, the earth element, Beings recognize the earth element. That's, so that's a, maybe a bit of an archaic language. You could think we don't think like this these days, but the hardness or the, you know, we recognize this, the earth element. Human beings recognize the earth element. Uh, the wise one, they recognize the earth element and they stop there. Earth element. Hardness. Hardness is here. The unwise, the untrained mind, the unwise mind, they go just a little further. All their suffering is around that, but they just go a little step further. They say, this is mine. This is I. They identify with something which is of the public domain. Can you own hardness? No, hardness belongs to nature. It's good to leave it. We know what happens with the taking of ownership and appropriation. We know really well uh, the difficulty socially, like at all levels of ownership. That's a teaching around that, I think. Wrongful ownership, appropriation of something that doesn't belong to us. Exactly. Yeah. So somebody asked the Buddha, okay, I hear that. So 
when you talk, do you still say I? And the Buddha say, yeah. Wise beings, they say I, I. But they know the limit of that language. That is wisdom. That is insight. They know to use this, but it's a conventional way of speaking. They don't start owning everything. Because when they own, at some point, if something is appropriated, identified, if you refuse with something, either seeing it as I, or mine, or I'm in it, or it's in me, and really believing in it, not just saying it lightly to be understood, but really believing that, it's going to hurt. You know, when suddenly you look in the mirror, and where is my face? You know, I don't want this face to be mine. It's dry, wrinkled. (laughs) Nobody laughs. (laughs) You know, there's been an identification with... uh, For me, as uh, some of you know, I think... When I was young, I didn't know that. It was, it was uh, covered for me. I didn't know that. I was identified with health. I thought I was health. I didn't know that. I would never have been able to say that. I, it was an unconscious belief. But when the doctor told me, health is gone, it's no more. It's, it's been destroyed. The immune system is zero. No more T-cells. That was a big shock. Because I thought I was health. I didn't think that there was health, that health was something conditional, ephemeral, impermanent, not possible to own it. It was there, but it belonged to nature, and there was a way to contribute to it, you know? But there was no controlling it or owning it. It was not me or mine, but it was there and precious. So I wish I had been told before, you know, hey, it just appears to be you or yours. But, you know, intelligence is not yours, and memory is not yours, and none of this is yours. Sight, hearing, not yours. Conditional, ephemeral, it's there. Notice it and get acquainted with it, see it appear and disappear. So, are you following a little bit with this eyeing and mying? It's tricky, it's counterintuitive, so if it's triggering for you, it would be natural that it would be so. But maybe stay, stay tuned, And you might recognize some aspects of it. I'll say a few more other examples that you might recognize. Like um, every now and then in Montreal, I have a bicycle. It's mine. I paid for it. It's mine. (laughs) But I seem to forget all the time that I cannot really own anything like metal cannot be owned in this way, just relatively, conventionally. And once in a while, there's somebody who doesn't agree with that uh, suggestion or understanding, and they take the bike. (laughs) And then I'm really deeply hurt, you know, 
But if I have wisdom, I'll recognize that this was not mine exactly. It was mine by agreement. As long as everybody agrees, it's mine. <laughs> but if somebody st- stops to agree, <laughs> then we'll see that that reality was not so absolute. It was not absolutely mine. It was relatively mine, <laughs> ephemerally mine, you know? And so that's removing a lot of distress, you know? It's like, oh, okay. And it's not like, oh, enjoy it. Well, maybe it's enjoying, enjoy it too. But I can understand. We have agreements, and I'm, I want to take really good care of agreements. So I'm not saying, so, oh, take any bike, it's all, it doesn't belong to anybody. No. We understand the world of conventions, and we take really good care of it. So that's why here we say we're not going to take somebody, something that belongs to somebody else. So we're playing on both fields there. Do you, do you see this? So I'm told, and it seems to make sense, that when we're born, we don't have an ego. Huh? We're not like, there's not like it's me, it's like as a newborn. <laughs> and you know, if there is a good parenting and all this, they will be like, no, this is my hand, this is your hand. Touch your nose. Where is Pascal's nose? <laughs> no, this is not Pascal's nose. Pascal's nose is here. <laughs> you know, and, and then like... Uh, no, this is Nicholas uh, doll, you know, you cannot, it's Nicholas, mine, no, <laughs> your is the funky little thing there, <laughs> <laughs> the beautiful little black doll here uh, belongs to Robert, you know, <laughs> whoever, you know, and you're like, ah, and you, when we learned, you know, we learned that this is my idea, this is your ideas, you know, and we, so we go from pre egoic or egotic or something like that mm-hmm. to ego egoic and hopefully we're going to have a good healthy ego we're going to have healthy boundaries my body your body i decide my time this is our you know my resources whatever you know when we're going to and then we come to a buddhist retreat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go like okay so so we, your parents and like you and your psych, 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 psychotherapist help you with the ego. You know, we made a healthy ego. It's good. Perfect. So now let's go a little further. It's not really yours. <laughs> it's not really your thoughts. They're there. And so instead of owning it, uh, with pride or owning them with shame, we're going to just recognize that they're there, okay? And we're going to replace all this meing and myeing and eyeing. We're going to put this down. It's going to be okay. Nothing's going to disappear. You know? <laughs> it's just going to be foggy for a little while. We're going to take another pair of glasses, and it's going to be something else. We're going to learn to take care of what's there, you know, to take care of it. So, oh, there is this, it's there. Let's take care of it. There's a body, it's there. Let's take care of it. There's an emotion, let's, it's there. Let's take care of it. There's a belief, it's there. Let's take care of it. Let's see, is it a good belief? Is it helpful? Is it true? Is it close to reality or not? You know, and it's not so much yours or not yours. Do you see the thing? So we liberate a little bit that uh, notion that is... Uh, oppressive, stressful, you know, 
because you know if I believe that everything is me and I like what's going to happen to this I you know at, let's say at death if there's nothing after it's freaking me out and if there's another life it's freaking me out <laughs> You know, and so we kind of let go of this. We say, there's things happening here, let's take good care of them, you know, and give them back to nature. Yeah? So it's the middle path between guilt, identification, fusion, mistaken view. That's an extreme. Another extreme would be irresponsibility. And we're going on the middle path here, which is more of a thread that we're walking on. And it's the thread of, I would call it personally, responsibility. Taking care of what's happening in the relationships, in the heart, in the, like bringing care, bringing attention, bringing curiosity, engagement, so that we can nurture some things and release other things. Are you following me a little bit here? And this seems to be a wise way to live. So, uh, maybe I'll finish with this. The disenchantment or this passion that maybe you've heard Bunny named yesterday in the lawful unfolding of, uh, from, from ethical behavior, you know, it leads naturally, and I won't have the exact thing, but leads naturally to ease and joy and concentration. And I'm doing it in a disorder, which sometimes it is actually, I think, you know. So, the, 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 so how does this ethic appears to me? What I found is that by the process of doing what we're doing here, I'm developing an inner ethics. I have enough reson- resonance in my heart that I can know what is going to hurt and not hurt, and what is okay and what is not okay. For example, as a gay man, even if society tells me that maybe it's unvirtuous to be in a relationship with another man, even if I live in a hetero, tolerant, heterocentric world, I had to dive deep in to find what is my truth? What is the truth of this being? What, what makes sense? What, what, is it, what is ethical? And although some people might say that I'm a sinner and, and this and that, I have sat enough with this heart to know clearly. <clears throat> and so... Being ethical uh, makes my, uh, my mind at ease, my heart at ease. I can relax, I can find a little bit more peace in the moment, feel things, feeling things. I get curious and I get to see the true nature of things and it leads, amongst other things, to dispassion and disenchantment. And what is meant by that is the removing of the spell, the spell of I, I, isolated I, you know, this is released suddenly. It's just like, oh, there is nervousness. There is ease. There is uh, kindness present. Or there is uh, shutting down present. There is wanting to lash out present. It's not so much, I'm so bad because I want to. It's No, there is this. Let's take care of it. Care of it. Consciousness. Sensitivity. And so the... <clears throat> Breaking of this enchantment is not, I'm, I'm actually gaining something from it in a way. That's one way it could be presenting. I'm gaining freedom 
from the spell. You know, in the Midsummer Night Dream, I don't know if you remember, and vaguely for me, before I collapse, I'm going to drink a little bit. In Midsummer's Night Dream, at some point somebody's under a spell and they're madly in love with some, maybe somebody with a donkey head or something. You know, oh, so beautiful. And, you know, and there's a spell, they're under a spell. And the whole, we watched the play and we were like, oh my God, poor fellow, under the spell, you know. And so the disenchantment in Buddhist practice is the losing of the spell. Losing of the spell of solidity. I'll be stuck with this for the rest of my life, you know. Or I want this to stay for the rest of my life, you know. How can I make it stay? You won't make it stay. It won't stay. It's ephemeral. Be liberated in that. Notice the preciousness of the encounter because it's ephemeral. It's not you, yours. It doesn't define you, but it's there. It needs to be taken care of. So that's the... the so the dispassion is like... The infatuation with Pascal loses its passion, you know? It's like, oh, no, I don't have to be upset by how Pascal looks to this person. <clears throat> because they have to take care of their own thoughts, you know? All this for the opening of the heart, so that the heart can have easier access to joy, to care, to compassion, to benevolence. Because when we notice that it's ephemeral for all of us, that it's unknown and uncontrollable what's coming for all of us, we start to care that it goes well for all of us. We start to consider each other Something impermanent is happening with my troll. <clears throat> it's a good timing anyway. So this arch, this way of knowing, is an old, old form of knowledge that came from far, far away. And it takes time to develop. And it takes dedication to develop. But it says that's the only way to have insight is to have a quality encounter with reality. So that's what we're exploring together. What is a quality encounter with reality so that misconceptions can drop away and we can live uh, fully in this realm uh, and have an appropriate response to what's happening, a wise, a creative response to what is happening, not a habituated response, not a... F- fearing response, not a, but something that is uh, appropriate. So let's sit for a moment. <clears throat> Notice the um, 
the form that took life, how life is manifesting right now. Through breath, or ease, or confusion. Can that be okay? Notice if you want the alive nature of what's happening, the aliveness of the body pressing, the aliveness of the heat or cold. And that, what, uh, that that knows that we sometimes call the observer notice how it has its own life its own noticing its own knowing not so much personality just a knowing quality without many features, I think. Knowing that is spontaneous, that maybe cannot be owned. And if it appears as you or yours or in you, Are you in it? Just allow it to be like that, to appear like that. And as one teacher says, it's not you who's going to be liberated. It's everything else. Thank you so much for your uh, consideration. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.